Hello, hello, Discasters. How are you all doing today? I hope you are all doing well. I hope you all had a great week. Uh, I know that my week has just been just real chill, actually. Uh, not a whole lot going on on my end. Uh, but I hope you're all doing well. I hope you're all, you know, doing your exercises, if you exercise, making sure you drink your water, all that stuff, practicing your self-care. I hope you're all doing nice and hope you're all doing well. All right, so... Uh, today's episode is going to be the final installment of the, I guess, the Dalmatian series. Uh, and it is all about Cruella, which was the, I guess, the uh, like the live-action origin story of the character of Cruella de Vil that we all know. Now, after having watched all of these other movies previously and coming into this film, I de- it's, it's definitely weird... Uh, they did a lot of they did a lot of retconning. They did a lot of like, hey, we're gonna do some of these changes in order to just justify the choices that we made and maybe make her not as horrible of a person. Anyway, we'll get into that in a minute. But for now, uh, we're gonna start with some Disney news. Um, one of the big pieces of news that I found was that they released another video. Uh, sort of advertising the uh, Galactic Star Cruiser Hotel. Uh, it's some random guy who's on the Goldbergs, uh, which is a TV show I don't actually remember, but he goes to the hotel, he sees something, he, he gets shown around a bit, similar to what we saw with the Josh DeMero video. Uh, but then he finds himself in like in one of the canteens of the, uh, of the Star Cruiser, and he sees a live performance being done by, uh, I believe it was a Twi'lek? I think um, I could be wrong, uh, but uh, I think that's supposed to be a sort of advertisement for the fact that we will be having you'll be having live performers perform at the hotel, uh, which I actually think is kind of cool. I think that's a very fun addition uh, to everything. Uh, so I'll post up the video of that on the show notes. So that'll be good. Uh, also, this has been this was something that I discovered just recently, actually. But apparently, there is a touring group called Disney Princess the Concert. Now, basically, what this is is it is four actors uh, who have all associated themselves with Disney, or for the most part, uh, in some sort of Disney project on Broadway, and they've come together and uh, these four women perform various Disney present songs. So one of them is uh, Cindy Winters, who was the original uh, Nala on The Lion King. She was the one who originated the role. Uh, we have uh, Christy Altamere, uh, who, even though she's never actually been in uh, the, she's never been in any of the Disney uh, on Broadway shows, uh, she has a pretty good, uh, I suppose you could call it a good, a good, res- a good resume here in terms of Broadway stuff. So she's done music, uh, she's done Spring Awakening, uh, she did the musical version of Carrie. She uh, made her de- debut as Sophie in Mamma Mia. And uh, most recently, she just, I believe, finished uh, doing Anastasia. So she's kind of the only real outlier. Uh, but, I mean, she's got she's got chops. She's got, vo- she's got a voice. So I think she does. Uh, I think she's going to do uh, a good job here. Uh, then there's Courtney Reed, uh, who originated the role of Jasmine in Disney's Aladdin on Broadway. Uh, and then finally, we have the iconic Susan Egan, who, if some of you don't know, 
not only provided the voice for Megara in Hercules, but also was the woman who originated the Broadway version of Belle in the Beauty and the Beast on Broadway. So, I mean, like, <laughs> if at the very least, just to go and see Susan Egan. Uh, so this is pretty exciting. Like, I'm actually very, very intrigued by this. And I think I'm going to actually, like, try and catch this at some point just because... I mean, why why the hell not, right? Like, when you have, like, uh, these four powerhouse voices singing some of these iconic Disney numbers and doing it in four-part harmony, because I'm a huge sucker for four-part harmony. I love four-part harmony. Uh, it's one of the reasons why Queen is one of my all-time favorite bands uh, because, of, uh, because of that. I mean, and again, just to see Susan Egan live, like, one of the OG Disney princesses, I mean loose loosely i mean look if they can include mulan in the list when she's not technically a princess they can include meg who is pretty iconic i mean right just think about it anyway so uh yes so uh they're all doing this amazing tour so yeah so it looks like it's going to be mostly an american tour which i mean i kind of understand um so yeah so uh, i'll post a link to the tour in the show notes and y'all can take a look at that um i'm i won't be able to do anything until they hit washington state really uh and it looks like that's not happening until let's see california oregon idaho oh there it is uh march 5th and 6th uh spokane and seattle cute so march 5th and 6th so i'm gonna i'm i'm gonna actually try and and do that i mean why the hell not right Again, to go and see some of these iconic voices and do it exclusively just for my own enjoyment. But anyway, I digress. So, yeah. So, that's pretty exciting. That looks, like, real fun. Um, and, yeah, if you can, if you can, I would recommend taking a look at uh, or going and seeing this. Because I feel like, like, even just my speculation of it is that it's going to be a, a hell of a good time. Full of... Not just nostalgia, but I think just also just really genuine good performances. Because, I mean, if you have four women who have had, like, good long careers on Broadway, like, you know that they've got... Maybe season's not the right word. I don't, I don't want to make them sound that sound like they're old, but just that they've accomplished... Uh, they've got a lot of experience under their belts. And so I feel like that's definitely... That can only do them good. So, that'll be exciting. Now... All right, so now I'm going to talk about Cruella. So my initial my initial uh, opinions of this film are that I love it. It's great. This is this is genuinely a good movie. I think it's a good movie. Uh, if you take it and if you stand it alone as its own thing without associating it with the other like 101 Dalmatians or any of the other Dalmatians related stories, as a standalone film, this film is great. I think it's really good. Some of the most iconic things in it are like the fashions because so much of it revolves around fashion. Uh, so much of it revolves around the fact that Cruella is trying to work in fashion. Uh, and so like some of these fashions are absolutely insane. And I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't even know where they come up with some of this stuff. Like the, the freaking garbage dress blew my brain. Like it blew my brain. I would highly recommend y'all watch it and take a look at it because it's awesome. It's just great. Now, I remember uh, last time when I was talking about 102 Dalmatians, I remember uh, when I was talking about how 
uh, Cruella did not want to did not want to be known as uh, Cruella, and so she wanted to have a different name. I believe the name they that she did use was in fact Estella, uh, and I was wrong for some reason. I thought that her name was Ella in this movie, but no, her name is Estella in this movie as well. And the whole Cruella thing was just a thing uh, that was made to make her channel her, I guess, her 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 bad side, her evilness, air quotes, her evilness, uh, as a way to kind of allow that stuff to come through, but in a different way, I guess. I don't know they, they try they try to explain and they try to justify why she would be. Uh, as villainous as she was uh anyway so let's go through this story so we start off with the fact that this film is effectively being narrated it's being narrated by uh Cruella herself uh who is played by emma stone who does an amazing job uh killer accent too considering the fact that she's not even american or no sorry she's not even english she's american uh so does a great job on the accent i think um and yeah, so it starts off with a narration of her uh, being being born, and right away we know that there's something odd because she's born with the two with with her hair being the way that it is that we the way that we know, it, which is black on one side, white white on the other. So they just kind of just straight up from the bat, they're just like, look, we're just gonna make it that we're just gonna make it that her hair is is two different colors because why not? Just just because. They never explain it. They never ju- try and justify it. They just make it a thing. So that's how it goes. <laughs> I think that's very funny. Uh, but basically, we see a little bit of her of her youth, of her young years growing up. Uh, from, a, from a young age, she's creative. She's eccentric. She's out there. She has an aggressive side. And her mom is trying to help her, uh, just teach her just to be kind and be nice and gives her the name uh, Cruella or gives this side of her that name Cruella by basically saying, look, you're, you are, you're Estella, you know, you're not mean, you're not Cruella kind of playing it off as if it were something else. But uh, then they, then it, it later as she, as sure that she gets older, when she's going off to school, she kind of brings up the Cruella thing and is like, what do you say when Cruella, um, Cruella perks up or when Cruella, when you feel Cruella coming, she says, and uh, Estella's something like, uh, like, thank you, but you are not needed. Something like that. Like basically giving her a way to kind of shoo away this aspect of her personality in kind of a healthy way. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like it would be an interesting uh, perhaps film study for like um, for a psychologist or something just to look at it because I don't think this is truly uh, like dual personality disorder or anything like that. I don't think it's anything like that. I don't know. It's, it's hard because of course I'm, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. Uh, uh, but anyway, so she goes to school and she has a hard time at school because people are shitty because she has boys who are assholes because again, children are awful and you see that she's trying to like she she fights back she's she's not aggressive it's that she's protective of her friend anita who she meets uh who of course we know is anita darling and so like yeah so she said that she's friends with anita and is protective of anita and it's just very just has an attitude that is like i don't like just don't fuck with me 
because I will fuck with you right back kind of thing, right? And because, But because of this, she gets in trouble. Uh, and so I think it's supposed to showcase the whole, like, uh, imbalance of things that are like, yeah, like, these boys can get away with all this shit and and Estella can't because, I guess, maybe because she's a girl, maybe? I mean, this, this film takes place in the 70s. Oh, no. Well, yes. The main movie takes place in the 70s. This intro bit takes place in, like, the mid-late 60s. Um, and she's already kind of got this... Uh, I guess riot girl attitude, I think. Something like that. It feels kind of like that. Anyway, so but she gets expelled, even though her mom is in the office and basically is just like before before the headmaster can fully say that she's expelled, the mom's like, I'm withdrawing her from your school. Like before he can say that she's expelled in order so that it's not on her permanent record kind of thing. It's pretty funny. Uh, anyway, so basically Estella gets, you know, leave school. And her and her mom make a plan to go to London. Now, they go and they end up at this big fancy house. Like, like I'm talking like a mansion. Like, it's a manor is what it is. And there's like a, and there's a masquerade ball happening. And the mom, uh, Catherine, tells Estella to stay in the car uh, because she needs to go do something. So, the mom disappears. Estella sees that this is... Uh, uh, like a high fashion party. And so she sneaks out to go and take a look around and everything. Of course, gets caught, gets in trouble and, uh, comes out into the, comes out into the, like the, the back patio area, I guess the balcony. I don't know. It's on a cliff side, which is interesting because why would you build your house on the edge of a cliff anyway? And so she goes out there and she sees her mom talking to some lady with a, giant wig or whatever and she sees that they're in like a hot conversation and then the lady gets these three dalmatian dogs uh to basically charge and knock Catherine over the edge of the cliff and so Catherine, estella's mom dies i know right shocking <laughs> a disney movie with a dead parent <laughs> anyway and so estella sees this Runs away, uh, jumps into uh, a passing garbage truck, finds her way to London, goes to uh, Regency Park. I want to say it's called Regency Park. I think it's Regency Park. But anyway, this, uh, I, uh, a park in London and where there's like a fountain uh, and kind of makes that the spot where she communicates with her mother. You see that she comes back to this fountain several, uh, several times throughout the film in order to kind of communicate with her mother as a way to, you know, still feel like she's connected to her. But now she's wrestling with the fact that she feels that because of her choices, because of her going there, messing up the uh, party, getting the dogs aggressive, she feels that it was her fault that her mom died because she, she fucked up the party made the dogs mad, made them chase her, made them go after her, uh, have her miss her and because uh, they were charging after her, but miss her and then go after her mom kind of thing. So, yeah, so basically Estella is now living with this guilt, with this kind of like internalized guilt. Uh, so she's at the she's at the fountain. She falls asleep. She wakes up and there's these two random boys that are also there who turn out to be Horace and Jasper. So now this is kind of the big thing where... Uh, this is one of the biggest pieces of retconning that we see is that um, 
we only understand we only know horace and jasper as like these lackeys that cruella hired in order to do her dirty work right but this movie posits the theory that they were in fact childhood friends now this is something that this this is kind of like one of the examples of which you, I, I feel like you need to kind of look at this movie as its own separate thing because like if you want to then associate it associate it with like 101 dalmatians and everything now you're looking now all of the stuff that she did in 101 dalmatians aside from the fact that she's trying to kill dogs but also just like the way that she treats horace and jasper almost feels even almost makes it even worse the fact that they were childhood friends like like how are you going to treat your childhood friends that way just how are you going to treat them so poorly you know what i mean anyway and so they become childhood friends uh they run away from a cop they go to this hideout that kind of becomes their home or was was horace and jasper's home and then uh, and then estella find uh chase or runs after them and um follows them to their little hideout um and yeah and so it's also just very cute because at this point estella found like a puppy in the trash and adopts it names it i think uh i believe bobby names it or something like that and then uh horace and jasper have a little pet chihuahua that is named wink because he only has one eye he only has one eye he's got a little patch over his left eye and he's adorable and he's precious and he becomes and he's like horace's like best friend it's just so cute the relationship between horace and wink is just great um which is again one of those things where it's like it leads me to feel like there's no way in hell that any of these that neither Horace and Jasper would be so willing to just murder puppies because, because in, in 101 Dalmatians in both the, the animated and the live action version, Horace and Jasper have been tasked to murder these dogs, to murder these puppies. And they're just okay with it. Like they're n- like no argument. They're like, yeah, sure. We'll just bop them on the head and, that, and that's, and then we'll do the skinning. That's it. Like these characters, even at this point, like within the first act, there's there's no way they would be dog killers. Anyway, so again, more retconning happening. So, Estella, Jasper, and Horace all grow up together. They become the best of friends. They become a family, basically. And Estella, in because now that she's on the on the run, basically has to continuously dye her hair. So she dyes it red. So now she's a redhead. Um, and then we there's a cute little cool little transition where we see Estella as a I think she, at this point she's like, I don't know, like 10 or something, is like gooping a bunch of dye on her hair, looks down. Uh, she disappears from, from view, from the mirror and from camera. And then Emma Stone pops up. So it's like a seamless transition kind of thing to basically indicate that now 10 years have passed. So Estella, Horace and Jasper are basically thieves. They, run, they go around, they pickpocket, they steal, and that they're criminals, basically. That's what they do. Um, them with their, uh, little dog sidekicks, uh, Buddy, sorry, not Bobby, Buddy, uh, who is, uh, Stella's dog and Wink, who is Horace's dog. Uh, even though I guess the dogs kind of belong to everyone anyway. So, but throughout this little montage that we see of them doing their crimes and doing their various things, we see Estella is constantly looking at these billboards of this big fashion store, um, like uh, I think it's called like uh, like the Liberty Department Store, which is this big, big, big fashion store. Um, 
owned by, I don't know if it was owned or not by the Baroness. But the Baroness basically sells a bunch of her stuff there, I think. Uh, but there's there's a connection there. Or maybe just the Baroness bit likes to visit it. Anyway, so uh, Estella longs to work in this place because, you know, she's a fan of fashion. She loves fashion. The entire time she was, she, she'd be making costumes and everything for Horace and Jasper and herself in order to do these, these crimes. And eventually, for her birthday, Jasper uh, gets her an entry-level job at Liberty Department Store, which I think is very, very sweet, and it's very, very nice. Uh, the, the, the thing that I did like about this film is that they did have them be friends, but they never ha- made it romantic. They made it strictly platonic, which I think was the right thing to do. I did think it was nice that because there was there's so clearly the possibility of them going in the direction that they could have made Estella and Jasper a thing yeah roughly the same age uh you know they, they could have had it be that way but i'm glad that they didn't because i i think it i think it just serves better just them being just regular friends like i don't think it needs to be anything more than that and quite frankly i'm kind of sick of forced romance so you know anyway uh so yeah, so she gets this job, which she turns out is just being a janitor. But you know what? That's at least something, or at least that's what Estella keeps telling herself. Now, because she's a janitor, she's basically looked down upon by this, by her boss or whomever it is, who's like this snooty, like just generally a he's he's a dick. He's a, he's just this snooty British asshole who feels that he's better than everyone because of. I guess his upbringing or whatever, but he's that kind of character. Like you, you know, he's a dick. He, you're not meant to like him. He's an asshole. Anyway, eventually Estella gets in trouble. And so she's forced to clean this guy's office top to bottom. And so she does it, uh, but isn't out until like, I don't know, probably like midnight or one in the morning kind of thing. And so by the end of it, what happens is she decides to imbibe a little bit because the manager has, uh, these bottles of booze just in his office for whatever reason. And so she decides to start drinking and she gets drunk. And so she goes upstairs and fl- finds the window display uh, because she saw it during work hours and hated it. She's like, it's just so boring and I've got to... Like, she, she keeps trying to present ideas, but this guy, this manager, just doesn't want to hear them because she see- because he sees her as just a lower being kind of thing, right? It's It's awful... It's classist. It's terrible. He's an asshole. So Estella, in her drunken state, decides to go to the window display and basically rework the entire thing. Now, she reworks it in such a way that, like, it's grand. It's fun. She uses newspapers to help, like, poof out the dress and stuff. Like, visually, it's actually quite stunning and is very reminiscent of, like, uh, of, like, punk rock and, like, Riot girl type stuff like that kind of imagery right and i think that's what they're trying to convey with cruella and especially using the backdrop of like the mid-1970s even though even though in my opinion you wouldn't have guessed that it was like the 1970s if not for like some of the set direction like even some of the fashion isn't doesn't feel strictly 70s to me like even though jasper has like big froey hair and like uh, like what looks like a bowler hat, that, and he's got like this the the sweater that's like a turtleneck with like a blazer on top. Like 
looking at him, you would you you would definitely see that he's an example of seventies fashion. But at the same time, the rest of the fashion that's in this movie and the rest of like the look doesn't look seventies. So I don't know. I mean, like, do I think that they did a good job of doing of of, of portraying the right time? I don't think so, but I also don't think it particularly matters. That's the thing, is that I don't think the fact that it takes place during the 70s is really all that important. So whatever, it is what it is. Anyway, and so she she reworks this window display. Much to the chagrin of her manager, her dickish manager, uh, who basically proceeds to effectively fire her. But it just happens to be that the Baroness von Hellman, who's like the who's the biggest fashion designer in London, uh, whom Estella basically idolizes, happens to be approaching the store that same morning. And so everybody's like, oh, my God, the Baroness is here, blah, blah, blah. Right. And so uh, everybody panics. Estella hides in amongst the chaos. And then the Baroness arrives and then she's basically like that window display and the guy's like oh yes of course i'm totally sorry it's garish and blah blah it's basically again just being an asshole and she's like it is fabulous who who did it and basically is like looking for the person who did it and then estella uh, and then finds estella and then she basically hires estella on the spot which is great because the guy is basically trying to apologize for Estella being like, like bringing up the issue of breeding and all this shit. It's just, ugh. it's gross and it's classist and I hate it. But contextually, contextually within that scene, it makes sense for him to be that way. So it's like, I don't hate the scene for it. I just hate him, but you're supposed to hate him kind of thing. So it, it, it's great. It gives you the emotions that you're supposed to feel basically, which is great. And so then uh, the Baroness sees Estella uh, has her assistant give her the business card uh, and then basically hires her on the spot. And so uh, Estella, Horace, and Jasper run away. And then the next morning at 5 a.m., gross, Estella shows up at the, I guess, the London-based workshop that the Baroness has. Because, like, the Baroness has uh, her main house, which we later see as this big manor. Uh and then she has, like, the workshop, uh, I guess, in London, where that's, like, the main offices and everything. So she shows up at the thing and immediately just goes into line with all the other designers. And then there's the Baroness, begins to brag about how her, uh, what was it, the summer collection or the spring? No, like, the, the, the spring collection, which is, like, the big one, uh, was a complete success and starts bragging about herself. And she says that she's a genius and all this other stuff, you know. That kind of thing, because that's the kind of person that we can tell is this is this character. Anyway, and then tells the designers to go to work. After a while, she has the designers line up with what they've got, uh, and then uh, like like mock-ups of outfits just on mannequins or whatever. And so the 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 Baroness is walking down this the this aisle with the mannequins on the sides, basically basically just like being like, "No, you're fired." That's awful. Basically, just like immediate judgment on all of these garments until eventually she gets to Estella and then like does some minor editing, like with a switchblade, just like cuts off a sleeve, cuts off another sleeve, wraps a, the wraps uh, the first sleeve that she only half cut off, like around the waist kind of thing. 
accidentally nicks uh, Estella's hand. Uh, and then when Estella tries to like bring it up, she's like, the, the Baroness is like, why, why are you talking? Oh, I should say the Baroness is played by fricking uh, Emma Thompson, like iconic Emma Thompson, like, and does such an amazing job, such an amazing job. So, so good. So good. Uh, and yeah, no, you, you fucking hate her. She's, but you're meant to, you're meant to not like her. You're not meant to like the Baroness and you, and it's great and it works anyway. So has nicked Estella. Estella's bleeding on the hand. And basically the Baroness just like takes her hand and is, and flashes it up and is like, uh, fabrics. Can you give me a red like this? Is basically asking for for fabrics to get fabric dyed the color of blood, which is hilarious to me. Anyway, but basically likes Estella's work, and so this is that this this gives Estella that that real sense of accomplishment, that real sense of like holy shit, what I did was great, and I feel good about myself, and so it's all good. Estella is basically achieving her dream, which is amazing. She uh, eventually becomes. Uh, um uh the baroness's kind of right hand woman kind of like becomes almost her assistant kind of thing starts asking her opinion on a few items like on a few actual like designs and stuff which again i feel like estella is loving until estella catches glimpse of this necklace that is hanging around the baroness's neck now this necklace is like a red pendant has like a red pendant on on the chain and the reason it's important is because Catherine, Estella's mom, before she went into the party, when she, when, uh, when she drove up to it, gave it to Estella saying, this is a family heirloom. I need you to guard this for me. Unfortunately, when Estella was running away after having just watched her mother be murdered, she drops it in the grass. And then she makes the connection that the person's party that they went to happened to be the Baroness's party. So now she's making the connection that, holy shit, the Baroness is the one who or has stolen the has stolen the necklace. And so she wants it back. So Estella then asks Jasper and Horace's help for Jasper and Horace's help to acquire the necklace. Now she sees that there's like a safe, uh, like a safe in the Baroness's office. And then uh, because she's working there, she knows about the fact that there's going to be a ball, uh, the black and white ball uh, for the Baroness. Uh, and so they make a plan to basically do a heist. So Jasper and Horace are going to be the ones kind of working the things. Horace is going to go in and try and steal the thing. Jasper's going to work tech kind of thing like cameras. And then they need a distraction and Estella volunteers to be the, the distraction. Now, here's the thing. Estella can't go to the ball, but... Cruella can. So Estella decides to get dressed up. She ventures into London and goes to this store because she sees that there is a dress from the Baroness's spring collection, 1974 kind of thing, sees the dress and buys it. And then this is where we meet Artie, who is uh, who is the owner of this vintage clothing store, <laughs> vintage clothing store. Like vintage for 19, by by mid 1970s standards, I guess, or is I don't know. It's maybe it's just like a vintage store because we would consider everything in that store vintage. I don't know. Anyway, Artie's fabulous. Artie is obviously gay. 
basically he's he's again the, the costuming in the show in this movie is fucking great Artie looks amazing like on point uh and so she like it's interesting because like uh Estella makes the comment it's like how does this look work in the streets and then he basically says he's like oh you know like bullying uh the odd uh the odd fight but you know what I look fabulous and why be normal like basically tr- like giving us that you know that that idea that you know like fuck being normal dress how you want to dress be who you want to be and show the world that you're not afraid of it which is of course just something that we can all take away from and I love it Artie is great Artie is a great character uh and of course Estella falls in love with him because why the hell could how how could you not he's fabulous uh, anyway and so basically concocts this plan uh to be the distraction and so when the night of the ball comes uh Corella shows up at the ball with a mask uh with like a face uh with like an eye mask and her black and white hair all big and poofy and it's great and she comes in with a dress now it's a black and white ball so she shows up in like this this white cloth robe kind of thing but then sets it on fire and it all f- like flames away to reveal the red dress the dress the 1974 spring collection of the baroness and the baroness immediately sees her immediately wants her arrested like she tries to like collect like uh arrest her and everything or get the security to grab her it doesn't go over it doesn't go great like i think she kind of gets away with it because the baroness then like sits her down and is immediately like transfixed by her she's like she's like uh just immediately intrigued by this new person, this new character who's shown up. It's like, what are you wearing? And Estella and uh, Corella, I should say at this point, is like, oh, it's yours. 1974 spring collection. And Brenna's like, oh, no wonder I love it. But then Corella says, I fixed it. And so this is where we see the seeds of that rivalry begin to form, which I think is really fun. Because eventually, because at, throughout the course of the movie, uh, we see this rivalry happen between Cruella and the Baroness. Cruella is trying to continuously upstage the Baroness because she knows that the way to get to her is through her ego and through fashion. And so this is where we see more and more of these beautiful artistic fashion pieces that Cruella uh, is showing because every time there's a big ball or a big event where the Baroness is there, is invited Estella is there to show her up like there's a moment where she where the Baroness arrives in a car and Horace and Jasper take like uh, a thing to basically strap the doors down of the car the back door so the Baroness can't get out and then Corella comes up climbs on top of the car swings this giant dress around and just stands there all fabulous like it's 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 a be- it's a wonderful sequence. It's a big montage and it's great. And again, the costumes are incredible. Like unfucking believable. They're great. But what happens in the but I'm 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 jumping a little bit ahead. Uh so the original purpose of her going there in the first place during the black and white ball was for the necklace. Now here's the problem. The necklace, even though even though Corella does actually get the necklace, she drops it and gets the necklace gets swallowed by one of uh, the Baroness's Dalmatians. And so they make a plan to basically steal the Dalmatians from when they're out at doggy daycare or getting like uh, getting baths and stuff and just wait. 
because they got to wait for it to eventually come out the other end. Uh, but during this time, during these montages and during the time when we're waiting, uh, we see a little bit more of Cruella kind of uh, latching on to Estella and becoming, I guess you could say, the dominant personality. Now, Estella's still going to work. She's still doing her thing. She's still, you know, playing the part, as it were. But Cruella is also coming out more and more and kind of, yeah. So this is where we start to see a little bit of the disrespect and the, and just basically Cruella starting to really mistreat Horace and Jasper. And they're starting to kind of, they're starting to see it as well. They're starting to not be fans of this Cruella. And they're to the point of where they mean, uh, to the point of where they actually say like that, the fact that they miss Estella now, another thing that Corella does is she goes to her childhood friend, Anita Darling. We see again. Uh, she's now a journalist. She has attended, like, various things. We see uh, we see Anita at uh, the Baroness's Black and White Ball. And so Corella goes directly to Anita and basically is just like, I, need, I want you to help me, uh, you know, be big. I want you to help me get the, get the Baroness, like, knock her down, basically. And so, yeah. And now eventually, uh, during uh, one of the Baroness's, uh, actually during her, the official day where she's going to be showing the spring, the, the next spring collection, because that's what all of this has been working towards. All this has been working towards the next spring collection. And at this point, we've seen how much, how little the Baroness really cares for her designers like we see that the baroness is incredibly egotistic she's incredibly narcissistic she gives zero fucks for anybody except herself and she doesn't care who she hurts on the way kind of thing right a little bit like a little bit like cruella like we we see a little bit of that aspect in cruella herself so eventually we get to that to the big uh to the big runway of uh, the spring collection and um, the last big piece, the main signature piece, uh, is something that the Baroness basically stole from Estella. Now, because of course Estella is Cruella, she's still thinking it with a bit of Cruella brain, and so she makes this plan that this next dress that uh, or this dress, uh, the signature piece is is a beaded dress and gets these really nice gold looking beads. Uh, from I think it's like South Africa or something and hand sews them onto the dress now it's beautiful it looks amazing and Jasper and Horace fake a break-in so they break into the studio the London studio and then scare the security guard but then leave like the, the goal was basically just to make it so that they would be seen there so that the Baroness would f- or it would force the Baroness to take all all 12 12 I think it was 12 10 or 12 of the designs of uh, for the spring collection and put them in a vault. So they're locked away. They're secure. So now the night of the actual thing. The night of the actual thing, uh, they find out, first off, that the vault is, like, sealed. Not locked, but sealed. And so they need... So they get some guys with acetylene torches to crack open the safe. And then, they, and then that's where craziness happens because then they see 
uh, moths fly out of the vault. Like hundreds of thousands of them. And that's when she sees that the beads that were beaded on that fame on that beautiful dress turned out to be cocoons. Because Estella or Cruella, I would probably say Cruella, planned it so that these beads would hatch while they were locked away in that vault, and then the moths would eat the fabric of all the other dresses. So the entire line has been ruined. Next thing you know, you hear you hear noises, you hear sounds. Everybody's left the 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 studio and everybody's scattered outside. But literally across the street, uh Cruella sets up this uh this fashion show uh in uh in Regent's Park. And the fashion show has a bunch of uh Cruella's designs and then out comes Cruella in a half black and half Dalmatian fur coat. But it's 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 faux Dalmatian fur because we know that at this point she hasn't actually done the deed. Uh, but the Baroness thinks that the Baroness is like, that woman killed my dogs and made them into a coat. And so that's kind of how they're con- they made that connection with the whole uh, Dalmatian coat thing in the in the I guess you could say in Corella's later timeline. I don't know what they're going to do. Apparently there's a sequel. I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know how they're going to explore that. Like, I don't know. Anyway. And so more madness ensues. The cops show up. Everybody scatters. But it's too late. The damage is done. Corella is super famous now. But at this point, the Baroness has put two and two together. She's not stupid. She realizes that Estella is Corella. So she has her goons follow Jasper and Horace back to their apartment. Uh, and by the time Corella arrives, because she ran a different direction, she went and got food uh, for herself and for Jasper and Horace, I believe. Uh, and then shows up at the place, and there she sees Jasper and Horace tied up on chairs, and there she sees the Baroness. And then this is where we get the big confrontation between the two of them. So basically the Baroness is going to take Corella, strap her down, and kill her. Like, the Baroness is like, no, that's it. I'm going to set you on fire. Like, just completely, like, with no remorse, nothing. Like, And so, like, this this is kind of like that, that final nail in the coffin, in the proverbial coffin. Well, <laughs> that imagery, though. How uh, prudent. Uh, because we see that the Baroness is actually full on just, she's not okay. She's not all there. There's something going on with her. If she's, like, oh, it's just okay with just incinerating Cruella. And the idea is that she would make she would pin the blame on Jasper and Horace, who uh, actually do go to jail because she actually does set the entire place on fire. Uh, and we see Cruella pass out, but we see this dark figure kind of coming towards Cruella. And so next thing we know, we see that uh, Jasper and Horace are in prison. Uh, the Baroness thinks that she's that she's won, but uh, Cruella's Cruella's w- uh, wakes up on a couch. And she realizes that she is alive and she is brought there by the Baroness's valet, a man by the name of John. Now, it's interesting because the entire time the valet has basically been like the Baroness's right hand man kind of thing, Uh, like her most trusted advisor, I guess you could say, kind of like that kind of thing is what it was. And then it turns out we find out that uh, the necklace does end up actually showing up. Uh, John picked it up during the fire. He says that it has been sufficiently bleached, so we know it's clean <laughs> after being inside of the dog. 
Um, but we see that inside the key or inside the the necklace was a key that unlocked a box that shows us that Estella is actually named Estella Hellman and is actually the Baroness's daughter. So this is where we get a big uh, more backstory. So it turns out that the Baroness, as we had kind of uh, deduced by this point, uh, is just a full-on narcissist. After she finds out that she's pregnant, she loses her mind. Like, she tears apart the bedroom in just in, in complete anger. When she's born, she gets John, she asks John to take care of it, fully expecting John to kill the kid because she doesn't want, she, she doesn't want, she doesn't want the child. The Baron, uh, the Baroness's husband, obviously, uh, kind of, in his sadness, eventually just kind of withers away and, and dies. Uh, so he's not really all that important. Um, but of course, John couldn't do it because he has a heart. And so he finds Catherine, who was uh, a maid in the Baroness's home, and gives the baby to Catherine. And so that's why Estella is raised by Catherine as opposed to by the Baroness. And so all this kind of takes a little bit to, I guess, compute in Estella's brain. It also does explain this aspect of her, why she has that the the potential for cruelty as Cruella. We, we kind of get that justification, a little bit of that explanation in that as well, sort of, I guess, if you want to give it, if you, if you want to give the movie that much credit. <laughs> but anyway, so now she makes the decision that now she really, like, so after everything, she finds out that not only is the Baroness her actual mother, but also that she stole the necklace and also that she is the one who actually killed her mother because the Baroness has a whistle that she uses to summon the dogs to make them attack. And we see her do this during the black and white ball when she gets the dogs to attack Buddy, who is the one who actually gets the necklace before Genghis, one of the Dalmatians, swallows it. So Estella had put two and two together, and that really fueled this anger and desire for revenge kind of thing. And so now it's even, like, now it's even stronger. Now Estella really wants to stick it to the Baroness. And so she makes, she comes up with another plan. So she breaks Jasper and Horace out of prison by straight up running a truck through the front door of, of the police station, which I thought was hilarious, uh, and getting Wink to send uh, the uh, Jasper and Horace like a lockpick in order for them to break out. So they break out. They all get back together. Uh, Estella basically apologizes to Jasper and Horace, explains the situation, and tells them, you're my family, and I need your help to do this. And so they agree. Um... And so they get them and uh, John and Artie to help because uh, Artie and his team of uh, designers and uh, fashion people, uh, they get this plan to basically steal the guest list of this big party that's going to happen uh, at Hellman Hall, uh, which is put on by the Baroness, uh, her big uh, charity gala. They get the uh, they get the uh, the guest list and they send everyone on the guest list uh a gift and the gift basically says wear this in remembrance of of Cruella because at this point the newspapers are basically saying that Cruella is dead 
the only people that know that she's not are the are Artie, John, Jasper, Horace, Corella, obviously, and the police officer that is under the payroll of the Baroness, whom probably she has covering up all probably the plethora of other murders that she's done <laughs> but of course the baroness is not dumb she knows that they never found a body so she knows that that estella is alive and so she basically asks the guards on the night of the gala to look out for estella and has described her to everyone so everyone so the second they see anybody with black and white hair they mean to take them down but what they don't or what they realize is that everybody is arriving wearing a wig of black and white. And so they can't find her because everybody is wearing these wigs. And so it's kind of the perfect disguise, really. You're, and so Estella is already in the party and she's kind of hiding in plain sight kind of thing. Anyway, uh, gets the Baroness's attention, uh, goes or has her go out to the back area, the balcony, the same spot where the Baroness murdered her mom. She goes to the bathroom. She changes into her Estella outfit. So the red wig, uh, the work clothes and everything. And then meets her uh, or meets the Baroness out on the balcony. And basically tells her everything. Like she confesses everything. Um, And then the Baroness kind of puts it all together. And she's like, oh, yes. No, that explains it. That explains why you're such a genius. Because, of course, the Baroness recognizes that Corella is smart and is, like, really good at what she does and is a genius designer. She just hates the fact that she is, right? Because she sees her as competition. And because her being a classic narcissist can't have that. Anyway, and so while all this, while they're having this discussion, the Baroness summoned, basically, uh, so, like, gets the Dalmatians to try and, like, attack her. Like, attack Estella, but Estella, having already kind of bonded with these dogs, just tells them to sit because of all the time that they had them in the hideout, and the dogs have already fallen to Estella's side. So while they're having this discussion and this big uh, revelation, Artie and John, Jasper, and Horace are getting the entire party outside because they're like, "Oh yes, please, come, please come outside." The uh, the Baroness would like you would like uh, you to join her in on the balcony kind of thing, right? Because Estella wants witnesses. And so Estella, uh, or sorry, the Baroness basically is like coming to her and she's like, I want to put everything behind us. Uh, can I get a hug? And Estella's like, you're not going to push me over the balcony, are you? You know, kind of jokingly, kind of not. And then the Baroness is like, you you silly girl. And then like pushes her over the edge. But the thing is, is that everybody's already outside and everybody literally witnesses this. Witnesses and watches the Baroness push Estella over the balcony. Now, this is where, like, this is where things get interesting. Because at this point, technically, like, the uh, the narration has basically been Corella saying, oh, yes, this is how I died kind of thing, right? And the idea is that, yes, Estella died that night, right? Quote, unquote. And so after all these people watched the Baroness do that, she's trying to play it off, like being like, no, she jumped and blah, 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 basically trying to defend herself. But of course, everybody literally witnessed it happen. And so she gets arrested for murder. Now, this is where it gets interesting because apparently the Estella or Cruella turned her skirt into a glider slash parachute type thing, basically saved herself. She lands in the water safely, swims over to the boat that Horace has, 
uh, and then goes and shows up at the front door of the house as Cruella herself in the Coupe de Ville in the car that we now know is iconic or and uh, and is synonymous with Cruella de Ville. So she shows up in her full Cruella glory, no wig, just full fashion. And the thing was, was that Estella Hellman willed her entire fortune and everything over to her dear friend Cruella de Vil. So as Cruella, she's able to keep everything because Estella, quote unquote, was murdered by the Baroness. And so Cruella is now owner of Hellman Hall and everything in there. Uh, and then, of course, the the Baroness gets taken off to prison. And then we see Cruella change the name of Hellman Hall to Hell Hall. Uh, and then she basically takes up ownership of the place. And we can only assume kind of pushes her own label, like, because uh, that's kind of been her goal the whole time, right? To be, to be a famous fashion designer. So we can assume, safely assume, that uh, she kind of uses her connections with the Baroness, uh, them being now hers, and pushes and uh, pushes out her own um, uh, fashion line, which still sits with the live action 101 Dalmatian live action uh, film and what we know of Cruella and how we see Cruella in that she is more into the fashion and everything. So that works with that. And so that's basically the end of the movie is that like, uh, is that Cruella DeVille is now there and that's how we got Cruella now it's interesting because we were introduced to Anita Darling who was a uh, who was um, what's it called uh, a journalist in the film and then we were also introduced to Roger uh, who in this film was the Baroness's lawyer so that's interesting uh, who apparently does a little bit of side stuff with pianos and now, or not with pianos, but like is a, uh, is a piano performer on the side. Now the Baroness gets super frustrated with Roger because he can't find anything to do with Cruella. He can't find any sort of legal loophole to arrest her or anything because technically Cruella hasn't done anything legally wrong. And so the Baroness fires her, fires Roger. And so what we see is there's a, there's a post credit scene in which we see, uh, gifts being brought to both Anita and Roger, and they are dogs. They are Dalmatian puppies. And they've already been named. Anita gets Perdita, and Roger gets Pongo. And we know that these dogs are connected to Corella because at the end of the film, uh, Horace makes a point of saying, hasn't Genghis gained a little weight? And so we click, oh, that's because Genghis, one of the Dalmatians, who Corella and the crew all kept, uh is actually pregnant. And so they gave some of the puppies away. So that's that. And so that's that whole connection now. And that's the end of the movie is basically we see Roger in his little flat, which look, which actually they did a really good job of looking almost exactly like the animated versions apartment. Like they did a damn good job with it, like with the set design. Uh, and so, yeah. And so that's basically the end of the movie. And yeah, so it's just interesting seeing some of the changes that they did with these characters and with the story to just kind of, I guess, I don't know, like justify or no, no, but just a lot of retconning. And so I'm curious to see kind of what they do with the sequel. Cause there is a sequel slated to be done. Um, where is it? Oh boy. Hold on. I had this info here. Uh, there it is. 
so yeah, so in May of 2021, both Emma, uh, Emma's Stone and Thompson stated that they would like to do a sequel to Cruella uh, in the style of The Godfather Part Two, serving as both a sequel and prequel, apparently. Uh, so in June 2021, uh, Disney announced that a sequel is officially in the early stages of development with uh, Gillespie and uh, McNamara expected to return as director and writer, respectively. And then in August of 2021, uh, Emma Stone closed a deal to reprise a role in the sequel. Uh, so when the sequel happens, because it's going to happen, because why the fuck not? This this character is too easily bankable for them not to do it. Um, we can expect Emma Stone to, to reprise her role as the titular Cruella de Vil. Which I'm okay with. Like, I think I think she does a great job. Well, do I think it needs a sequel? No, I don't think this movie needs a sequel at all. And yet, here we are. <laughs> so, uh, this movie's budget was uh, $1 to $200 million. Uh, and the box office was $233.3 million. Now, here's the thing, though. Is that this movie um, was released uh, both in theaters and on Disney+. And so, I don't really know how uh they can break it down um let's see uh the film was watched by 686,000 american households on its debut weekend uh resulting in around uh, 20.57 million dollars in revenue for disney okay so that's how they can so they can they can count it uh and then uh 83,000 uk households watched the film resulting in 2.35 million dollars 15,000 in germany and 19,000 in australia so that's from uh, the viewers on Disney Plus, because uh, Disney Plus, when they released it, they had it behind a paywall. Uh, I remember I I paid it. I paid for the paywall, I believe. I think I did. Yeah, uh, to watch it early, uh, and yeah, and I I don't regret it. I thought it was great. Uh, as of September fourteenth, Corella had grossed eighty six point one million dollars in the United States and Canada, and one hundred forty seven point two million dollars in other territories for a worldwide total of twenty three point of two hundred and thirty three point three million dollars uh, in box office, which is of course separate from the uh, the VOD stuff. So, if we're adding all of this, like uh, the the question becomes, how do they add this stuff together in terms of I guess not necessarily differentiating it because you can still differentiate box office from the VOD purchases. But I'm wondering whether or not this makes any difference in how they market it or in the long run or whatever, because I mean, like they're still getting that money. Um, so I guess in total, let's see, 233.3 million uh, plus uh, the 20.57 from uh, American households. Plus the two point three five million uh, from the UK, so we're looking at two hundred fifty six point twenty two million dollars in total, uh, at least from the numbers that I got here in front of me. Um, yeah. So all in all, I mean, I liked it. I, again, I think it. I think it was. I think it was good. Um, I don't think the character of Cruella Deville needed an origin story. However, I do think this film is fun on its own. Again, if you kind of take it and you separate it from the rest of the Dalmatian movies and have it as its own thing, as basically a Disney version of The Devil Wears Prada, I think it's I think it's good. I think it's a legitimate film and I think it's fun to watch. And again, 
the fashions in this movie, I can't stop talking about the fashion in this movie, but that's because they are phenomenal. Like they're so good. If anything, just watch the movies for the, for the fashion. Like, holy shit, they're good. They're super, super nice. So very pretty. Um, I just don't know who's responsible for them. Like it doesn't like, I'm not, I don't have anything here. Well, we, so here it says the costume designer, Jenny Beaven. Uh, but the question is whether or not she was just doing like costuming, just like for like the film costumes, or if she had a hand in the actual fashions themselves, because the fashions were spectacular and it, and the costuming what did it did an interesting job of being like basically like supposed to be in the 70s but still looking very modern so yeah i mean yeah i thought i thought it was pretty okay all in all in terms of like the costuming so yeah so i i would recommend this film i would give it maybe like a 7 out of 10 it's fun. It's good. The soundtrack is really good. Like there's like there's some pretty damn good needle drops in there. Female version of some songs that you would know. Like like chances are if you're when you're watching this movie, like some of the biggest things that you're gonna notice are the songs, and you're gonna immediately recognize a lot of them. And I think they were definitely meant to be reminiscent of that whole riot girl idea. Because I think that's what they were going for with it. I think that's what they were going for um, in terms of how they were having the visual of Cruella herself. So that's that's kind of what I've got here. Um, yeah, because you've got like Bloody Well Right by Supertramp, uh, Whisper Whisper by the Bee Gees, uh, Feeling Good, uh, Nina Simone... Whole Lot of Love, covered by Ike and Tina Turner, uh, Stone Cold Crazy by Queen, One Way or Another by Blondie, Should I Say or Should I Go by The Clash, Come Together, also covered by Ike and Tina Turner. Like, it's good. Like, the, the songs in this movie are are also very, very good. Any hoozles. I have been talking a lot about this movie. Um... I hope you didn't mind my big ramble of this film. Again, I really liked it. I think you should go ahead and give it a watch. I think it's worth it. Uh, do I do I think it, people should have paid for it? I mean, I think it would have been okay to wait for it to come out on Disney Plus. I think that's fine. But ultimately, yeah. I mean, yeah. Maybe that's because I saw it at home on Disney Plus instead of in the theater. I wonder how it would have differed in the theater. That's the big thing. But anyway. Uh, yeah, so go ahead, watch it. It's available on Disney+. Plus. Uh, I liked it. I thought Emma Stone did a great job. Emma Thompson is iconic, uh, as always. It's great. Uh, and yeah, so that's that. That's Cruella. Uh, oh, shit, what the hell is next week? <laughs> I completely forgot what was next in uh, in the freaking Silver Age, because that's when we're in, right? We're still in the Silver Age, right? Right, I've 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 lost track. Oh my goodness! Um, next week is oh my god. So we're going. So we are back on track. We are back in terms of the originals. We are jumping into Sword in the Stone. Sword in the Stone, uh, which is the Disney version of the Arthurian legend. Uh, I'm excited for that one. That's going to be fun. Uh, so yeah, stay tuned for that. 
I am looking forward to chatting with you all. And next week, have a good weekend. Take care of yourselves. Don't forget to drink your water. Uh, take your meds if you do, if you need them. Uh, practice your self-care. Give yourselves a pat on the back. Give yourselves a big hug. And yeah, <laughs> talk to you all next week. Bye.